Welcome to Portrait of a Londoner. In this series, we are switching things up a bit to talk about joy. It's been a long, difficult year for everyone. And as we head into winter, we decided that we would like to have a more positive uh, set of interviews. So this series, we'll be asking people about how they find joy. Muna, what do you do to create joy? I've always loved walking. I mean, I, and I think particularly during lockdown, I found that just taking myself off for a long walk, often without any destination, really, just just walking. We've got Sydenham Woods next to us, which is wonderful. So I've just been taking a lot of time out and, yeah, walking, spending some time in the woods with my boys. That's kind of where I found some joy. And I've done it a lot more during lockdown. Is there anything that you've, you've revisited or tried for the first time? I think I've got a bit more crafty. I mean, I was all, my children are always doing craft, but I, I've got more involved with them and craft and art. So I think that's something that I kind of just let them get on with, but I've got more involved with them doing that. How about you? I think along the same lines as you, when I was thinking about joy, I think I kind of access it in two different ways. And, and one way is to find some solitude and peace, basically. I've always on and off done um, 10 minutes of meditation. I use the Calm app and I've been trying to do a bit more of that. Mm. Definitely dog walks um, and time on my own. And then the other side of it is making sure I have, you know, see friends and have conversations with people. And Zoom worked really well for that when I couldn't see people in person. I was having, um, you know, conversations with my school friends over Zoom. And also, yeah, I've definitely been tapping back into some creativity. I've been doing some more painting, which I hadn't done for a very long time, like 15 years. So that's been really, really good. Yeah. So we are talking to a range of creative people. And today we're speaking to Jasmine, who we first became aware of because her beautiful sculpture appeared in the Horniman over the lockdown period. Mm. Would you like to introduce yourself, Jasmine? Yeah. Hi, my name's Jasmine Pradesito. I'm a physicist and sculptor and uh, probably uh, been pioneering some new pollution absorbing work. And you might know me locally because if you go past the Horniman Museum, right at the very front, there is the most beautiful bee garden and and my sculpture right in the middle which is called flower girl who will awaken upon the buzzing of bees so she's asleep at the moment but once we start to care for our environment a bit more um she will wake up so i hope that you get to see her can i just ask then so you had this background as a physicist and you're aware about you know the climate crisis and you were also an artist I think, no, I, I, I wrote, when I did my first degree, which was the mixed sciences, I remember writing about climate change and it was still this sort of idea out there, but people weren't taking it particularly serious. But I think, you know, I'm a great believer that you can only join the dots in retrospect and and it, everything kind of comes together. And then, you know, the way that you, when something becomes obvious, you think, oh, I don't think of that before. You just probably weren't ready for it. So what has been, when you asked me to speak about joy... I've been thinking about it a lot, actually, because for me, joy is, um, it's like a very concentrated form of happiness and it's momentary and it's fleeting sometimes and you have to become aware of it. I was just going to ask you how you curate joy for yourself and what, what are the things that you do to kind of create that for you? Well, as I say, I was, I was thinking about the nature of joy and it's, you know, the way that we often say, I will be happy when, 
right? Mm. And we forget that the joyful moments are the things that happen in between the other things. And I think that the lovely thing about both being an, an artist and a scientist, we learn very quickly to really notice things. As a scientist, it's all about measuring the things that are happening in the natural world. It's about data. As an artist, you really, really have to look. If you're doing a portrait of someone, you can't simply draw, draw eyes as an arm and you have to really look at somebody's face. So we have an ability sometimes, I think, to, to link in and to resonate with things that, that an awful lot of people don't. And what has been really joyful during during quarantine is that people have been rediscovering this because they couldn't get their quick fix in other ways. You know, once we'd all kind of binged on Netflix for three days and thought, well, I'm a bit bored of this now. Do you know what I mean? It was like, what what else is going to start to give me happiness? And I think people, as you as you kind of rightly pointed out, started getting out their paints, started making things, started cooking more, started getting more sensations through their senses and through looking and through going for walks. So the fact that people have been reconnecting for me with the environment and the skies have been bluer and, and there's been less pollution is almost like, dare I say it, I, I almost needed a pandemic for people to sit up and pay attention to the work that I was trying to do. And I think it's also about always, and it gets so boring because we have toxic positivity positivity as well don't we where everyone has to be positive but I think in order to be able to experience great joy it's okay to be sad it's okay to have you know I don't know about you guys but I had four days of complete existential angst when this happened I watched the news 24 hours a day mm-hmm. and and after that I just thought actually I'm really bored of this now mm-hmm. right I've wallowed it's time to it's time to go and do something a bit bit more useful. Did you do more art did you kind of Uh, Or were there other things that you... uh... I had to finish the sculpture for the Horniman. And again, one of the lovely things is my son lives at home with me and I couldn't finish it on my own. I needed another pair of arms and hands. So we set up the sculpture in the garden and he helped me put it together. And that sort of act of collaboration, you can see his name on the plaque. And it was lovely for him to feel as if he contributed. And because that, it also kind of made me think about public art. It was obviously in, in a you know, in a time where you can't go inside, you suddenly realise how important architecture and sculpture and, and planting and trees, you know, they're all sculptural forms, but in the natural world, you can't go inside to appreciate things, so you, you have to go outside. So it was, it was is again, just sort of divine timing uh, that the Horniman could put it in even during quarantine, although we kept it very low-key when we were kind of installing it. So you were kind of actively working during that yeah. period, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mentioned that I painted and hadn't done for a long time. Did you go back to anything you hadn't done for a long time or did you try anything completely new? I did dig out my paints because the only problems with things like sculpture and things like this is that it's intensive. You know, you've got to plan it. It's And, and you've got to be strong as well. And uh, there were days I just thought, you know, I just want to get out a pencil and a brush. And um, one of the, again, the lovely things that happened during quarantine is I noticed... Uh, a lot of businesses, well, the one that I noticed, Alexander McQueen, they were running a creative thing each week. So they would post up a picture and the idea was to get all their followers on Instagram to try and reproduce it in one form or another. And I remember reproducing one of the dresses in watercolour and and they selected it to show it. But I also put on the time lapse of me doing it. And the response I got to that, when people came, I didn't know that you you could do this. And people were saying, what brushes do you use? And, and I found that I was, you know, informally mentoring people. 
And that did give me a great deal of joy because I thought actually it was like giving people permission to go and get messy again, to go and be childlike, to go and play. And I think if you don't take opportunities like this to go, do you know what? I can't go off and do the big stuff in the outside world. So I might as well just start playing again and having a bit of fun. So that was that was kind of a bit, that was a nice privilege, yeah. And you mentioned you do a lot of public speaking on creative thinking. Yes. You know, is, is there any way you can just distill some of that um, those ideas that, you know, how can people tap into their creative thinking? It's something that happened probably about 10 years ago. So when there were, I think, I, I only managed to find two books on creative thinking on the shelf. Now there are hundreds and hundreds because people kept saying to me, how do you think the way that you think? And I didn't understand what they were asking me. So, you know, this idea of joining all these seemingly unrelated subjects. And as as we've kind of progressed, you know, innovation is the big buzzword, but people don't realize you can't innovate. I always say that you can't innovate between 10 and 12 on a Tuesday. It doesn't work like that. It's an entire way of life and, and a way of being. But really, again, it's from learning, from working with kids for 20 years, from being an artist, from being a scientist. And what I always say to people is it's about divergent thinking. We're so used in society to converging in on a solution, right? We're always trying to solve stuff. And really, it's not about that. It's about having as many ridiculous ideas as you possibly can. And, and every time you get a eureka, what people don't realize is every time you get a eureka, you get a massive dopamine hit to the brain. So effectively, I'm an ideas junkie. It's as simple as that. And when you become a junkie like that, you want it for everybody else. So uh, I talk a lot about divergent thinking, playing, not worrying about whether it could work, whether it's possible. When you Just, just go and do it. Mm-hmm. Go and make a mess. Go and play. Don't worry about the outcome. And this feeds into your life. You know, when you start to learn how to take small risks, you learn to take bigger risks. And let's face it, being any type of creative is quite a risky way of leading your life. So, yeah, it, it's and if you think in terms of innovation and the problems that we have to kind of find our way through the only way we're going to do it is if we approach these problems in a way that we didn't kind of create them so do you think that's a motto for how you've made that transition then from science into into the art world because you've kind of made quite a big leap and it's having that having that freedom just to say well I'm gonna this is a leap I'm gonna make and it's um, a transition that I can can make I, I was given permission, and I think that's what, what I try and do in, in all the sessions that I lead, all the speaking that I lead. I had a brilliant tutor. And, you know, sometimes you only need one or two people in your world to really change it. They, they change the trajectory of what you're doing. And um, when, I was, when I went back to art college, my son was young. I went back to art college because I simply did not understand the language of art. And it's very different to the language of science. And sometimes I hate that. I hate that people feel excluded because people are using elitist language and it's something I try not to do. But anyway, for the first couple of years, I was painting very traditionally because that's how I had trained. And I kept my my physics background a secret. And then one day I had a brilliant tutor who came in and gave me this book. What was it called? The Zen of Motorcycle Maintenance. (laughs) And I went, what are you giving me this for? And he said, you need to go and read this. I went, do I? And he kind of said, I've just found out what, what you've done before. He said, why are you not involving that in your work? And I remember, you know, I was a grown woman running a business, being a mom, doing, and I remember saying quite clearly, oh, am I allowed to do that? That's never left me. Am I allowed to do that? 
And and that one person giving me permission, the next day my whole practice changed. I started building machines and this, that, and the other. And sometimes you just need somebody to go, it's okay, you're you're allowed to go and do this. So it was simple as that. It was it as really simple was. as somebody giving it you really, that. It really, really was. And that's what I spend so much of my own time trying to do now. Hi, this is Mike. I'm the producer of Portrait of Londoner. While editing, I often like to have a beer, and this episode is sponsored by Brixton Brewery. I'm currently sampling their Cold Harbour Lager, which is a lovely Pilsner-style beer. Thanks to Brixton Brewery for sponsoring this episode. Always drink responsibly. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and maybe the influence of your parents? So born born in England, but my father is Italian, my mother is French. So obviously, again, you don't realise this till later on in life, in retrospect, quite privileged to grow up with a very multicultural sort of um, background. But they were both immigrants. And at the time, you, you know, you had to work incredibly hard to be here. So that whole work ethic was huge in my family. And uh, the idea of doing art, it was like, well, artists don't make a living. What do you, why do you want to do arts? You've got to go and be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, you know, th- those type of jobs. Um, so I was studying to be a doctor. It didn't, didn't happen, uh, but obviously then I went into the sciences. But in some ways, I think I've done, hmm, how do we put this nicely? Sometimes when people say that you can't do things, it makes you want to do them even more. <laughs> so I think sometimes the influence of your family can either, yes, it can either make you stronger because you think, actually, I need to show you why I need to do this. And, and they kind of understand that now because for me, this is a vocation. And I hope that doesn't sound like a cliche. It's not meant to. I didn't pick art. It chose me mm. um, because, you know, you wouldn't pick to do this. It's a struggle. And you make sacrifices and other people make sacrifices. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a wonderful idealist, as you can probably tell. And we need some of those in the world. We need the dreamers. So, yeah, so in some ways, I think having parents that were so... Uh, what's the word? No, I don't know. Just, yeah, it, it kind of made me, it gave me something to push against and something to rebel against. And sometimes I think that's incredibly important and it teaches you resilience as well. How, how are your parents with your, the work that you do now? How, how, how they I think they get it? it now. I, I think sometimes my dad goes, you know that you can't change the world on your own. I go, yeah, I know dad, but I'm going to give it a good go. And I'm finding my tribe now. And cause that's the other thing. It's taken me a long time. I used to feel so isolated for so long. And then you start to meet people who think like you, who work like you. And, and I'm a great believer in, in the power of collaboration anyway, cause you have enough people and what I was reading, you only need something like 3% of the population to all really get together to achieve massive change. And and so that's really exciting for me. I can I can feel the tribe growing. We don't want to return to the old normal. We want it to be far better than it was. If if we can come out of what's going on now and have learned from it, well that's 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 brilliant as far as I'm concerned. How would you like to change the world? I would like people to, con- so for me, it's uh, that buzzword sustainability. So if we go back to things like joy that we were talking about, and uh, I once had an equation for joy, <laughs> right? And I, I remember writing this down. It's one of my really ancient tweets. And I think I wrote that joy equals passion plus activity plus creativity. And I I thought if you find your purpose, and I believe everyone has their purpose, you will, you will kind of find your joy. 
And when you find that, you don't need to get your dopamine hits in other ways. So you know the way you go shopping and you get a buzz off it and, and we consume and we... If you're getting it in a much more personal, individual way, you don't need to consume in the same way and and you find joy in much simpler things. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it is about consumerism and less stuff and appreciating that the environment is not this kind of big empty box that we can keep taking from, that it's a stakeholder in the future and we need to kind of give back. So that's, and, and again, if you could do that, if you could be much more aware of the environment, even things like bees and butterflies. You know, if you don't cut your lawn that often, and let's face it, most of us don't want to, <laughs> there will be more places for things to hibernate. There will be more places where they can go and eat. And it's really quite simple little changes. Totally. I mean, it's almost like, you know, we're seeing different birds that are coming into the garden and things and like noticing that, oh, I don't normally see that. And, you know, just so stopping has allowed lots of people to become more aware, Absolutely. much more aware of um, of the environment and sustainability. And maybe now I was going to ask you what, how your work maybe maybe has changed since since lockdown and COVID. I actually started working with corn leaves during COVID because again, I was trying to create something. I couldn't quite get the the effect that I wanted. And, and then I remembered every time I would go to Italy and dad would drive me back from the airport, we would go past lots of corn fields and I remembered the great big flourishing leaves and I thought actually they had the type of marks that I wanted and then I would so I started working with corn leaves and the Knox tech and I realized that the work was completely sustainably sourced and this idea of uh, indigenous practices and you know sort of the agriculture revolution so that's kind of feeding into my work now and somebody introduced me to the word um, mythopoetic which I hadn't known so this idea that if you think about how humans used to view themselves. We were once a speck in the universe, you know, thousands of years ago, and we were surrounded by gods and goddesses. And then in the 16th century, it became about conquering nature. And now, of course, we're going to have to about turn because we have to realize that we are symbiotic with nature. And if we don't change, then nature will survive, but we won't necessarily. So I did start to really think about the nature of the materials that I was using and wasting less. And I guess just by the very nature of the fact that you couldn't order what you wanted, you couldn't just go and get the materials. So you had to make do with what you had was quite powerful. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like, you know, people just had to stop consuming and stop, you know, because it, they, things weren't available at all. I thought maybe we could do a couple of really quick fire joy questions. Yeah. <laughs> it just quick, came to quick, me. Quick fire no, joy. Like, if, if an idea doesn't come to you, we could, we, we could all say them, but like, is there any music which would encapsulate joy for you? Oh, goodness, I like really miserable music. Um, okay, well, that's fine, that's fine. There's joy in that, though. I, like, I love the Smiths. The Smiths give me joy. Like, listen, listening to the Smiths on a rainy day, I find joyful, but, you know, that's... Oh, actually, uh, no, Feeling Good by Muse. That's one of my go-to songs. That's yeah. one of my go-to songs in the car when I'm going, yes, it's a good day. I put that on yeah. full work, yeah. Any joyful, inspirational people you could think of or film... Real people or... or well, either. Either. Uh, so, uh, oh, am I allowed to say that I really like Keanu Reeves? Because I yeah, think he's just... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 
Absolutely. <laughs> no, he's just too rough, but he's a really nice person. Um, other people inspiring me at the moment. Are you uh, allowed to say? You just asked us. <laughs> of course you're allowed. <laughs> I'm it, sure Keanu like will be delighted. We'll, we'll send him a message. <laughs> just a very cool, very kind dude. Um, another person that's inspiring me very much is the, the horticulturist, Rosalie Shaw, that I've been working with at the Horniment. It's kind of, again, changed my whole perspective about the natural world. I'm learning a great deal. Um, Adelaide Demoa, one of my artist friends who is amazing. Um, she's been, oh, she's been teaching me to find my inner goddess during, during quarantine. It's been brilliant. Um, I can't think, I'm sure there are lots of others, but that I was know. really on the spot. You can't, I can't think. Good. That's is, good. Is there any, is there any food you like to cook or, um, meal you like to have as a, as a kind of celebratory joyful experience? We've been doing a lot more cooking actually. Uh, oh, you've got to have a roast, haven't you? It's got to be a roast with all the trimmings and uh, not just gravy, but soup, as my son would call it. We have soup with our roasts. <laughs> That's fantastic. That sounds great. That sounds I've got great. one more. One more. Um, somewhere that you feel joyful, a place, you know, if you could go anywhere tomorrow. It's almost always, well, there are a couple of places. One is Wales. Uh, I remember the only time I've ever got a bad driving ticket was going through Snowdonia Great Park because my car was veering all over the road. I wasn't paying attention. And I remember the policeman pulled me over and he went, you know that you were driving erratically? I went, have you seen the view? (laughs) (laughs) Still gave me a ticket. So that that was that beautiful view. And then my other spiritual home, I guess, is Venice, which is close to home. Um, Blows my mind every time I go to it. But really... It's not, I think, I think you find, as you say, the, the local parks, local woods, you know, the, the fact that autumn is coming, I can't wait to find a big pile of leaves that I can go crunching through. So I was thinking, where can I go and find, so it's things, it's things like that, things, they are, you don't have to go very far. I think it's just noticing that they really are on your doorstep. Mm, absolutely. Wonderful. Perfect. Thank, Thank you, you, Jasmine. My absolute pleasure. I- If you'd like to find out more about me, oh, my name is a bit long and tricky, but it is Jasmine and it's Pradesito. You can see the sculpture at the Horniman. It's going to be there for quite a while. Um, obviously, I'm on Instagram, um, working towards another public art sculpture that's going up in Houston. It's complete, but that'll be going up soon. Uh, working towards some new exhibitions next year, but obviously it's a little bit difficult with COVID. But please do um, come and find me on Insta or have a look on the website. And I'm always delighted to hear from people so yeah my name is Jasmine Pradesito which is as I say a bit of a nightmare but um, hopefully hopefully you can come find me thank you so much for listening to this episode um, if you would like to check us out we are on Instagram at Portrait of a Londoner we're on Twitter at the Portrait Podcast and you can also email us and our email address is portraitofalondoner at gmail.com As ever, if you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. We'd love to hear from you.